Welcome to episode 13. On today's episode is a story of perseverance and overcoming struggles. Listen to the story of an amazing Mary Parker from Los Angeles, California. Every story is unique, but Mary's story is one of hard work, just doing the next thing to keep moving forward. Her advice for single parents is self-care. You have to take care of you first before you get to take care of others. Thank you for listening, subscribing, reviewing, and downloading this podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you. Welcome to Single Parent Success Stories. I am your host, Irina Shehovtsov, and I am on a mission to empower broken-hearted women to break the chains of the past and move forward boldly into the future. Single Parent Success Stories was created to inspire single parents out there who are struggling to help them realize what is possible. Hello and welcome to Single Parent Success Stories, a podcast designed for single parents out there who are struggling. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Meg Parker. She's a founder of Parker Sales Solutions Inc. She's a sales strategy coach. She helps coaches and consultants breeze through sales conversations without being pushy or salesy. She teaches them how to close more clients into their programs with less effort. She's also a single mom of three adult children. She is also a life coach and she helps women in horrible relationships to recover, to persevere, and to move forward. So it gives me a great pleasure and honor to have Mary here on this podcast. Welcome, Mary. Thank you, Irina. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. So I, I ask all of my guests. Please share your story. How did you become a single parent? Was this by choice or an accident? Please share with us. Sure. I think for me, becoming a single parent was more by default, meaning that uh, even though I was married, I actually had my spouse in my life. So well, that's a different part of the story I'll touch on in a minute, but uh, for 21 years, I raised my kids alone. And why do I say that? Because I married a man who was incapable of doing anything for our family. He didn't hold a job. He had a drug and alcohol problem that I didn't see. We were very young. I was 20. And you don't know much when you're 20. And I began dating him. I didn't marry him until I was 24. I still didn't see the warning signs. When you're young, you're in the clubs and you're out together and party and you don't realize that there's an addiction that's not going to be set aside for a marriage and children. As any young hopeful woman would be, I thought that I was strong enough and powerful enough to make a change. I thought I was beautiful enough and amazing enough that he would set all of those things aside for the sake of our family, for our relationship. I soon realized that he was not. And in fact, when we got pregnant with our first child, who's my son, it was four years after we were married. So here we were together four years then we were married for four years so for eight years 
still have a lot of hope built into this person. And he quit his job when he found out I was pregnant, which I thought was a very odd response. I certainly needed him to have a job more than ever, and here he quit his job. I don't recall that he ever went back to a job again in the course of our entire life together, which spanned, as I said before, 21 years. So we really grew up together, right? And we were friends before we were dating, and we dated for quite a while, doing all the things we loved to do together. We had many similar hobbies and enjoyable things that we did hiking, camping, we liked to go fishing, we were both musicians, we did a lot of performing, um, we did a lot of songwriting, I mean, we were happy and fun, and then, and then it wasn't so happy or so fun, because I began immediately to have these maternal instincts of how I wanted my family, and he, on the other hand, was so fearful of the responsibility that he went completely over the deep end. He started uh, cheating on our on our family and our relationship. He began dating other women outside the home. He stayed out all night long, sometimes gone for a couple days, uh, doing a lot of cocaine and drinking a lot. And then he was coming home and starting to be abusive to me. Um, and I didn't understand that. So I had a lot of moments where I had to leave our home, but I. I came back, as many women do, because my dream of a happy family was all I could see. I wasn't living in the reality of my nightmare. I was still living and existing in the hopefulness of his potential, which is the worst thing ever, is to love someone for their potential and not to see them for who they actually are and how they show up in your life in terms of responsibility. And so... Shortly after my son, within two years, I had my first daughter. I left him. He was really bad at that time. I was eight months pregnant. He had a girlfriend. They did a lot of drugs together. He was bringing her into our home. It was very disrespectful. He began to be a, a little bit more erratic. I wasn't sure what drugs he was doing at that time. I think he was mixing some, but I was fearful. And I had children to protect, an unborn child, and a small little boy that was watching this man, and that was his example. And I thought, yeah, not on my watch. I can't do it. So I chose to leave. I had my daughter on Father's Day, of all days, alone, without him in the hospital, because God has a sense of humor. And that's just how that was going to play out. And I thought, well, the irony of that was quite strange. And so I had her and my son two years I had not seen or talked to my husband I divorced him at that time and at that time you know I had some people in my family that were in the law and they were able to help me around some of the red tape that would happen if I had to involve him in the divorce because I didn't want him to have any custody of these children knew that they would not be safe in his care and I knew that uh, that he would take them and not come back and I had all of those fears and they were real fears and I decided that I wasn't letting my children out of my grip and so that was at that time 
And then my daughter was two. His brother reached out to me from somewhere and said, hey, he almost died, but he ended up in this rehabilitation center. And you know, he's been clean and sober for a few months and he wants to see his kids. He's never met his daughter. You know, of course my heart softened because I loved the man. I did not love the addict. I loved the man. And so I thought, wow, could there be a possibility that he's sober, that we could have a life that even though I'm divorced, like I want him in the life of my kids or, you know, I just missed him. I, I missed him, but I didn't miss the garbage that was part of our, our world. So, you know, I ended up starting to see him again. He looked healthy and strong, better than ever. He spoke with clarity. He was working. Like, it, I was like shocked. It was a new person for me. And I quickly fell into the trap of inviting him back into my life. And at that point, I had met, I had never met his family. I had only met his mom and a couple of siblings. But he had a father and siblings on the other side. His parents were never married met them and at that time when he came back into my life I met that other side of the family um, and I don't know what that was all about but it seemed to trigger something in him to start drinking again by this time I was pregnant with baby number three <laughs> after the marriage and we were already divorced and I said to him well we, we in my mind we weren't divorced in the eyes of God but I said, I, I had to get off of paper with you're doing crazy things. I can't afford to be responsible financially for you maybe killing someone out there driving behind the wheel of a car. He said, well, you said you'd never divorce me. And I said, well, in my heart, I have not. But on paper, I had to take my power back as a woman, right? I had to take my power back. And that was my statement. That was my way of saying, oh, no, from now on, all decisions made for my children, I had full custody, legal and physical. I never got any child support from him ever during that time. He never contributed to our family. Uh, and, you know, there was obviously no alimony. I didn't ask for that. I didn't care. And I worked really hard, sometimes three jobs. I did whatever it took to make sure that my kids had the best life they could possibly have. And I was always working and taking care of the kids. He came back into our life. He, I, I had to put him out several times when he was not doing well in his addictions. I would make him go for a time. I just didn't want that around the kids. And the kids were got, they got kind of used to him coming and going, and we didn't have big discussions about it. Um, I didn't talk to them poorly about their father. You know, that's one of the things you don't need to talk poorly about or dad when you're a mom because the kids are really smart and they're very clear on who's taking care of them and who's managing their life and who's loving them and giving them you know all they can and uh, oftentimes they really don't need your side of the story they are living it they see it you know and I, I gave my kids that respect that they were smart enough to see the truth and so <clears throat> I just did whatever I had to do I didn't make a big deal out of it and if there was a time when he couldn't be there, I would tell them, your dad can't be here right now. When he feels better, he can come back. And you would just leave it at that. So that, that was the crazy dance we did for 21 years. Finally, when my son turned about 13 or 14, he said, um, 
mom, I don't, I don't want to live like this anymore. Um, at that point, their dad was really bad. He would drink all day and he would vomit all night long. And he would, when he was really drunk, we'd all be sleeping and he'd start cursing through the house. At that time, I had bought a beautiful brand new two-story home. You know, it was big. All my kids had their own room. We had lots of bathrooms. I had worked really hard to have that home. And um, he made it an unbearable place for us to live, you know? And it was really hard to have him be around, but it was also not easy to get rid of him. He wasn't on the home deed or anything like that. Everything was 100% in my name, and I pretty much ran the household and the kids. But I was working about 70 miles from home, which was a long way to be away from the kids, and they were little. But my son was about 14, and he came to me, and he said, Mom, we have to do some things. And I said, okay, well, I talked to each of the kids and I said, what do you guys say? And they said, make him go. We're done. We don't want to watch him die. And that's how they saw it. They said, he's killing himself in front of us and we have to watch it every day and you're not here. And he's starting to abuse us. And I said, okay, then he's only here for you. At that point, we didn't have much of a marriage anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, the kids pretty much voted him off the island, so to speak. <laughs> And uh, that's where we parted ways. He was really quite sick. One year we moved, I put the house up for sale back into a county 70 miles closer to my job and to my immediate family because, you know, I, I needed other people to help me raise the kids. Yeah. And I knew at that point with them entering their teenage years that I wanted them involved in a church. I needed to bring a church into their life. I had a very strong faith. They knew how I felt, but I knew that it would take a village to raise my children the right way. So I surrounded myself with families, two-parent families, with children. The families were relatively affluent. I was not affluent, but uh, meaning having money, but they did. I put them in private schools. I worked even harder and did more side jobs to pay for private education so that they had a, a, an education that reflected the church they were going to so that that entire community was kind of almost like a uh, an insulation around their lives the entire time. And so that's what we did about two years after we moved, maybe a year and a half, their father passed away from his addiction. And that was hard. My son was only 14 and a half. And my daughter was 12 and a half. And my littlest one was only seven. And so, um, you know, then I had to tell the kids that their father had passed away. The older two had no reaction. They said they didn't care. And I found that to break my heart. You know? um, and the littlest one who had gotten close to him, she was his favorite. I think, because he was so sick in the last years of his life that she didn't get the side of him that the other kids got. She didn't see the way he treated me throughout our marriage the way the other kids did. Mm -hmm. And so he was really too sick to do too much of the drugs. He was always home too sick, couldn't walk anymore, things like that, because the, they had taken their toll on his life. Mm -hmm. And he passed away at the very young age of 46 which is sad. 
Yeah. There was so much life left that he could have lived. So when I say I was a single parent by default, I think you can see that I was always a single parent, even though there was a, a another parent present. He wasn't present. It was like having four kids and one was a troublemaker. That's how I always felt. Yeah, so that's that's kind of our story. And then uh, after he passed away, I just worked even harder and made sure that the kids had the best life they could. We've always spoken very positively about their dad. I tried not to speak negatively about him. They knew who he was. I didn't need to bash him. Um, and I think my two older kids have come to terms with uh, some of what has happened. They've worked through a lot of their issues independently. They're older now. My son is 29. My daughter's 27. Youngest is 22. And they've all worked through that. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not as if it doesn't still affect them to have lost a parent. And worse than that, they lost a parent. He was absent from them emotionally, spiritually. He was there physically, but it was a painful physical reminder of what he had become. And so they missed out on all the beautiful and amazing things that I fell in love with. And that's a shame because they should have had the opportunity to know their dad for all of the positive and amazing things that he was. Because he was much more than just an addict. But unfortunately, he wore that cloak of being an addict till he died from that. And he did not see that there was options for him. You know, that was a self-esteem thing, right? That was a belief level. We, we learn so much of that as we come into the coaching realm and we come into dealing with people. We realize that limiting beliefs really do become the rudder of the boat we steer in our life. And that was very clear to me much later on that, wow, you know, he just never could get past his limiting beliefs. They held him hostage, they handcuffed him to drugs and alcohol, and ultimately they took him to the grave. And I, I don't want that for my children. I definitely didn't want it for myself. You know, um, I, I have three great kids. They, their life could have been so, so different. You know, growing up with a father like that, they could have chosen same road. And uh, none of them have. I've been blessed. Wow. That's my story. Quite a story and the things that you had to deal with. Uh, I'm honored to have you and to have oh, your thanks. story. Thank you so, so much. There's for probably you. about a thousand micro stories inside of that one big story that, you know, people have always said, you should write a book. And I said, who would want to read that? <laughs> They're like, oh, a lot of people. I said, yeah, I don't think so. I think after a few chapters, they'd say this lady was nuts for staying and she was crazier for going back. So, you know, but you do what you have to do for what you, you, at the time you do what you do because you think that's what's best for your kids. And you asked today, I really don't know if that's what was best for my kids. I just did the best I had that I could do with the tools I had. Right. And all I knew to do. I came from a, family. My parents were married 65 years. They're European. You don't leave your spouse. You're married for life. You get married, you're married. Whatever comes your way in the marriage, that's just the way that goes, good or bad. And so I was raised with that kind of commitment. Maybe that was the downfall. I don't know. Maybe it could have been different for the kids, but it, it was what it was. It was the same for me. I was growing up in the same household and having the same kind of beliefs that, you know, you're married for life and Whatever goes, goes, and you figure it out, and you 
you know, fix it or talk about it. But uh, so it was difficult when uh, my marriage fell apart because I had that idea of a perfect, you know, institution of marriage and kids having a father and a mother and that they get to experience what it's like to have both parents in their lives, day in and day out, not somebody who just calls once in a while or visits, uh, you know, on the weekend, but somebody who is there every single day when they are in pain, when they are going through some difficulties in the, their lives or when they're celebrating wins and stuff. So, sure. you know, on a day-to-day basis, so this was the most thing that I miss. I wish they had that experience. They, they don't, so that's the difficult part of being a single parent, I think. I think so. How did you... Given the, the story that you shared, what kept you going? What was your motivating factor? And what are some of the things that uh, you have overcome? I think what kept me going more than anything was, well, and I think there's a part of my story that's missing that I'll have to tell in order for this to make sense, but I married outside of my race. My husband was black. And that was in the early 80s when I was dating him. So that was, you know, about 40 years ago. When you think about it, it it was only 20 years after slavery in the United States. And so that's not a very long time past the point where most of white America looked at black America as a lesser species and and sadly we see that they still do today i had my own levels of adversity out the gate with that one family members who refused to come to my wedding a wedding i didn't want a wedding my parents forced me to have i wasn't pregnant or anything i I, we didn't want a wedding i knew that people would come just to gawk at us or say they were there or have an opinion I didn't feel the support of anyone in my circle of family or friends who was saying, yes, this is a good choice. Maybe they saw things I didn't. Obviously, I was looking at him again, as I said, with potential versus reality. But he wasn't a bad guy. He actually was very, very intelligent. He was a scholar. He was the, you know, here, if you're the top in your class in, in your high school years, in your primary school years, they choose one person with the highest okay, the highest grades, the, you know, the smartest kid. He was that kid. He was the valedictorian of his graduate class. He was the one who gave the speech at his graduation. He was an all-star athlete, captain of the football team. He was given a full scholarship into college. He didn't finish college because that's where he discovered drugs. And so then he dropped out of college and, you know, it started from there, I think him and then he came back to the area and he went to a bible college and he finished the bible college and became a minister became a pastor found a place in a church but i still have his ministerial license that was given to him he was just an amazing person he read the dictionary for fun i didn't find that fun but he was very intelligent you know nonetheless addiction found its way into his life i think people saw that i saw the part i just described to you 
I saw someone who would pass along smart genes to my kids and he was handsome and I thought we'd have beautiful children and we did and they're smart and I, I got exactly what I wanted from choosing him in terms of, of that. You know, I think for the most part, because I married someone interracially, the hurdles that I had to overcome became twofold. One of them was the basic idea of being a single parent and being the sole provisionary force for my kids, as well as being a mother and a father to them. If any single parent knows, all you really wanted to be as a mother was a nurturer, right? We see ourselves as this nurturing, creative, like preschool teacher in their life who's baking cookies and doing crafts and shouting from the rooftop when they've done well and putting stars on their reports and putting them on the refrigerator for everyone to see and sitting down and doing homework with them and reading them bedtime stories and you know cooking perfect dinner and that is a fairy tale that is very difficult to live out when you are a single mom because you also have to be the dad and you have to bring in money Many times, you know, the other parent doesn't provide, right? And even if the courts tell them to provide, they don't provide. And so it's always left on the mom. On top of that, I had to be the disciplinarian. So I couldn't be, I couldn't be the nurturing, beautiful mother I wanted to be because now I had to be the heavy hand also. I had to be the one who ran it like the military just to keep order in my house, you know, and to make sure they didn't step out of line and to make sure that they understood the pecking order. Never had his support as far as him telling the children to mind their mother. I can remember things like Mother's Day here. I was never honored on Mother's Day. He was always honored on Father's Day. I made sure the kids did something for him. Even though he was a crap father, I made sure the kids did something for him. On Father's Day, he did not make sure that the children did anything for me on Mother's Day. That was painful for me because it taught my children that I was not as important. I, I think he could have done things differently, of course, but it's hard to say why he didn't. I think he was the bigger challenge for us too because I chose to allow him to stay in our home. The bigger challenge for me was always coming up against his constant disrespect and his constant verbal abuse. He was never physically abusive. I want to state that that was never a part of the abuse, but a lot of verbal abuse which can be just as bad, horrible for the kids, you know, to hear about me or even if he would say nasty, hurtful things to them, you know, and he did, you know, he just, uh, I think was, I don't want to say jealous. I, I Maybe he was, maybe he was, envious of the fact that I could provide. Not only could I provide for myself and my children, but I provided well at a level of living that I didn't have as a child and a level of living that he didn't have as a child. And I gave our kids more on one income than he would have been able to do by himself had the roles been reversed. And so I think the biggest challenge was not allowing 
his abusive demeanor toward me to control me. He tried a lot to control me, and I didn't allow that. I think what probably was my saving grace was being divorced from him. Still allowing him to stay as if we were married, but knowing that I had that power of the paper and that I ruled my own world and he didn't have anything he could say about it. He couldn't say anything about the cars I chose to buy. He couldn't say anything about anything I chose to buy. It was all my money. He couldn't say anything about me buying a house. He had nothing to say about how the budget went down. He had no access to my bank account. They would have been wiped out if he did. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was some, you know, he felt like he was treated like a child, but uh, I felt like he was treated like someone who got to live in my home for free and see his children and he had not earned any of that. So I felt that it was more gracious on my part. He saw it as me mistreating him and disrespecting him. So I think the biggest challenge for quite a while was dealing with an alcoholic, drug addict, abusive person who lived in my home like the opposition every single day while I was trying to raise my kids in positivity and in light and you know in hope that they could become anything they wanted to be in this world and you know trying to support them and again like I said be that emotional support and then have to come in and be the physical support and the spiritual and the mental and the financial you know, and then on top of being the breadwinner, I also had to be the disciplinary. I had to catch it before he caught it because he was abusive. So if I didn't get in there first and correct the situation, and it got to the point where he would correct the situation, it was never good because he didn't know how to handle any part of regular life. The kids didn't need to be a part of that at some point. So th that was the biggest struggle was during the time that he was alive. He passed away in 2005, so he'll be gone 15 years coming this November. And, you know, we left, we left him behind in 2004. I sold that house and I bought a new house that was far away from him and back in an area, like I said, that was near a church and near private schools for my kids to go to a private high school uh, and have more support during their, their more formative years, their teenage years, when I thought they would be more susceptible to creating problems for myself and irreversible problems for themselves later. It, you know, it's been 15 years, um, like I said. The greatest part of my struggle was him. Once he was removed from the situation, God, God called him home. I, I felt more free than I'd ever felt. I, I still, I was sad that he was gone. I was, it was hard to watch a life be thrown away because it truly was just thrown away yeah but it was relieving to have him out of the way and to have my children not to have to set eyes on that anymore right and not to have to identify with it anymore um or be embarrassed if he showed up at their school sometimes he would show up at their school drunk and my kids didn't know what to do with that they didn't want to not acknowledge him because that would have been worse for them when they got home, right? But they didn't want any of their friends to know who he was. And of course he'd make a spectacle. And so I think, for the, I think everyone was relieved when he passed away. 
myself and my children alike. I think everyone was relieved. Mm -hmm. The kids got to talk about their dad after that any way they chose, and I never interfered. If they wanted to build him up like my youngest one, she built him up to be a hero. In her mind, he was super daddy. He was fun and creative and a songwriter and funny, and he loved her. And she grew up in a warmth about him that she created, that kept her in, in her little world. That's what she carried on. It almost like having an imaginary friend, right? Sure. I never interfered with that. If she thought he was the best thing on the planet, the other kids would come in and try to try to break her glass castle, but I told them no. Leave her alone and let her have the reality of him that she needs to have. That's that's going to help her in this world, right? Showing her the truth is gonna hurt her. And so uh, I let her have whatever reality she wanted to have. Like I said, I, I didn't have to talk about him. The kids knew who he was. And uh, at some point, even the other two kids, would, they would learn to only tell their friends about the fact that he was a musician and wrote songs and, you know, and, uh, and that he had passed away and he, and they just said he got sick and passed away. And so again, whatever story they had was their story and I let them have their story. And our life was relatively harmonious. Um, it, was pretty har it was pretty harmonious. So I never remarried. I didn't bring another person into their life like that. Mm -hmm. um, it would be wise. I know a lot of people that have done that. And uh, it wasn't something I, I couldn't imagine someone else disciplining my children. Mm -hmm. so I decided that that was not for me. So yeah, we did okay. You know, I bought two houses and they all went to private school and two of them went to college. My littlest one uh, toured the world for four years and um, sang and danced and performed, you know, definitely got her father's genes and she went around the world doing that and many cultures and lived with many families and was part of this amazing organization, uh, relatively wholesome and she uh, had, you know, was able to get her education abroad while she was doing that and I mean, I'm really proud of my kids. You know, they've done what they want to do. And, uh, my other daughter is working on her master's program in animal science. She be a veterinarian, but I, I think she changed her mind. She doesn't want to do that much schooling. So she might end up, you know, in the zoos. Um, it's interesting. Their father was a huge animal lover when he was, when he got his degree to go to, we got his uh, scholarship to go to college. Uh, he went for wildlife biology, right. and it's funny because I don't think that the children knew that. I think they knew that their dad had gone to um, school for wildlife biology. Mm -hmm. So, for my daughter to use that in college is interesting because she's had to identify that, oh, wow, there's a part of dad that's just, I'm just like that, right? Good for her healing. She was able to kind of come to grips with all that. He was kind of the most abusive to her. And um, she was the one that was born on Father's Day and uh -huh. didn't meet her until she was two years old. 
And at two years old, she didn't know who he was. And you know, a two-year-old, she's not going to go sit on his lap and be all about him the way he was all about her. So she rejected him as a little girl because she didn't know who he was and she didn't like him. And so that, there was no bond in their relationship. It was always strained. And so I worried after he passed away that she would struggle to come to terms with who she was in terms of identity with him. Hmm. But again, the universe had a way of working it out. So they're good. I like what you know today, if you could go back in the past, would you do anything differently? Well, I probably wouldn't have married him, but then I wouldn't have had these three beautiful kids. And isn't that always everybody's story? They always think, well, I wouldn't have married that guy. But then you realize that if you, if you would have chosen not to have that spouse, you wouldn't have the blessing of this offspring. And I, I, I of course, can't change my children. I, I wouldn't even imagine that. Even they have asked me that question. <laughs> How do you answer that to your own kids? You know, I say, well, I wish I never married your dad. And they'd say, well, if you didn't marry dad, then you wouldn't have had us. And so I would joke with them sometimes. I'd say, exactly. That's what I'm saying. They'd say, oh, my God, mom. But, uh, you know, and then we'd, we'd laugh, of course. They, in their mind, think I'm actually serious. But I, they are my world. Everything I've ever done has been so that they have an advantage. One, because they're raised by only one parent and two because they are minorities and I wanted them to have a greater advantage. I didn't want their story to be one of, you know, an impoverished childhood and they didn't have that. Mm -hmm. I slept in the corner of a kitchen my whole life. We had nine people in a very small two-bedroom house because my parents had seven kids and my dad was the only one working and we just had a really small house and my mom was sticking kids wherever she could to get them to sleep. Right. And so I had a little bed in the corner of the kitchen. I don't remember having toys. My mom wanted to keep the house clean. None of us had toys. We did chores, we cleaned the house, and then we could go outside to play until it got dark. And that was it. Toys weren't really part of the equation. And we had toys that were for outside. I had a bicycle. The kids, the boys had, you know, footballs and basketball. Right. We didn't have, the house didn't have toys. There's no room in there for toys. Nobody wanted to trip over toys. Uh, so we had different childhoods. I wanted my children to have the best childhood I could have given them. I didn't spoil them, though. They got a lot of things, but, but I didn't spoil them. You know, some stuff they had to earn, right? I wanted to have some principles. Yeah. What, what kind of advice can you give to present single parents who just became single parents? The first advice I would say is to make time for self-care. I didn't do that. I didn't take care of myself. I ended up getting sick, having high blood pressure and some other health issues that I had to take care of. I, I worked and gave and didn't sleep and I didn't take care of myself. I gained a lot of weight, you know, for a while and uh, it created, you know, problems and, um, and I didn't take care of myself. And I think it's really important that you do that, right? And why? Not just because of your health. Obviously, if you're not here, your children won't have you. You know, and in my case, it would mean that they lost two parents, they'd be orphaned. But it sends a positive message uh, to your children, right? You right. teach your children, especially if you have daughters, to take care of themselves first and not 
become victim to always caring for someone else who should be taking care of their own self. My greatest advice would be take self-care and make sure your children know why you're taking self-care, that you need to make sure you're healthy so that you can stay around for them and that it's important to take care of yourself. No one else is going to take care of you. You have to take care of yourself, right? And it's a, a and it, it shows self-respect, which in turn garnishes the respect of your children, right? If you disrespect yourself, why should they respect you? That makes your job as a single parent much harder. So that's one area of advice. When you're struggling, I think like, you know, if you just feel overwhelmed, which you're going to feel overwhelmed as a single parent, my advice is just do the next thing, even if it's just the dishes. Just don't stop dead in your tracks. Don't think of the 100 things you have to do. Don't get overwhelmed by your bills that are due next month and the month after that. Don't, don't do any of that. It's, it's a way that, you know, it's self-defeating and it's sabotaging to your opportunity to put on a good front, right? Like they say, never let them see you sweat. Your kids can never see you cry. They don't need to see you in the depths of despair. You know, chin up, suck it up. You know, keep a happy countenance, a smile on your face. Be joyful in their presence and do the next thing. And if you can't get through whatever your issue is by doing the next thing, then do the next thing after that and the next thing after that until that moment of, overwhelm, self-doubt, uh, self-loathing until that passes. Just do the next thing. My, I kept a really clean house because I was always doing the next thing because I thought if I don't do something, I'm going to snap. So, you know, do the dishes, polish all the furniture, vacuum all the floors. You know, I was, my kids would be, you're always cleaning. I said, oh, I know we don't want to live in a dirty house. And in the inside of my brain, uh, it's going a mile a minute about all the bills I have. Where's Where's the payment going to come from? How am I going to pull this off? I don't want to tell my children no. You know, and I didn't let them see all of the detriment that their father caused by being an absent parent from day one, you know, and then leaving this earth permanently and no chance of retribution on my part to have him be participant. No, that was final. So you just, I couldn't let them see that side. So that's what I say if you're overwhelmed. And then I think the last thing is, I mean, ooh, create a vision board. I did that. I created a vision board. They're really fun to do. If you don't know what that is, there's coaches that teach how to do a vision board. And I made a vision board. You know, on my vision board were houses. On my vision board were trips and vacations. On my vision board were new cars. On my vision board were jobs that paid more than $100,000. And I reached all of those goals because I looked at them every day. And that's what I chose to have because I knew that's what I needed for my kids. They weren't lavish. I didn't want to buy a boat or a Lamborghini or something crazy. I just wanted a car that didn't break down at the next intersection where I had to get out and push it across the street with my babies in the car because been there, done that too, you know, and crying the entire time, cursing my life. Like why, oh, why am I in this situation? And thought, can't do it. I can't be in this situation. I can't. I learned, I'm, I was always a very good cook. I, 
I never let anything go to waste. I was always very creative with even if I had to buy the food at the cheapest 99 cent store, it didn't taste like it came from there, but I did whatever I had to do to make ends meet. I'm afraid to do that. Cleaned a lot of houses, scrubbed a lot of other people's toilets on the weekend when I should have been hanging out with my kids you know, because my job at that time may have just made enough money to get by with the bills, but it didn't make enough money for me to buy groceries or put gas in my car to get to that job for the next week. So that had to come from somewhere. I didn't have the advantages then that we have now. If I would have had opportunity to make business on the internet, wow, what a different story I would have had. That didn't exist. There was no internet. I'm almost 60 and that, that didn't exist. You know, it would have been so different if it did. We didn't have cell phones. Yeah. Crazy it's to think of how far we've come, you yeah. know, technology. So that, you know, that's pretty much my advice. I mean, and don't just let life happen to you. Don't, don't sit around and just let life happen to you. I mean, be active in creating the life that you want for yourself and, and for your kids. Because if you've always been reliant on your partner, see, I wasn't, I did, I never had that opportunity. I never had someone financially participant in my life. But if you do, if your spouse that, you know, is now no longer there or the father of your children is no longer there, but they were actively participant financially in your life, you might be sitting around wondering what to do because you were so reliant on that money. And so then my advice is um, learn to consider what it would be like and strive for your independence because there's freedom in that there's so much freedom in the independence of paying your own way and paying for your kids and creating the life that you want and it is very possible i did not come from money i was not given a big fancy education i took myself to college i actually was married and my husband said I could not go to college and I said you're kidding me right and he said you're not going to college we don't have the money at the time he was doing cocaine and I thought well you've got the money for that I said okay well I'll tell you what I am going to go to college and no worries you won't have to pay for it I remember picking up an extra shift I worked at a restaurant or something I was just a waitress and you know early 20s there was a guy at the restaurant that worked there that everybody said if you need money go to him and i'm like that guy the guy that speaks no english that washes the dishes and said go talk to him and i spoke spanish so i went and i spoke to him turns out he had a lot of money because he saved it all and so he he was smart he loaned out money like a loan shark at high interest rates uh-huh. You had to pay him back at 50% of what you borrowed. So my college education cost me almost twice what it would cost someone else. Not only did I pay cash, but I borrowed what I needed to pay for school and books from him. And then I had to pay him back twice as much. And so I did that. And that's how I put myself through school. And I thought, you're not going to tell me not to go to college and not educate myself. You had a chance to go to college and you blew it. That's on you. I'm not going to sit here and not be able to elevate myself 
I could see early on that it, he wasn't going to be the provider. Mm -hmm. That was very evident. Just wanted to be a musician. I just sing in the streets and have people throw money in his guitar box. And I'm, that's not even a joke. That's exactly what he did. That's not going to pay the bills for our family. Right, right. So I would say at all costs, seek your independence and find a way to monetize your life and not be reliant on someone else's income to make ends meet. If they ante up on the money and pony up for the kids, great. If they don't, great. Don't skip a beat. Don't let your kids know. Don't bash their father. Uh, you do what you need to do. Kids are not stupid. They always know and see the truth on their own, and they will love you more for not bashing their father and grow up more responsible if you continue to be the example, right? Be the exception to their rule. Yeah. Right? I don't agree more with you. Because the thing is, too, you know, I think kids go to school these days, and there are more broken homes than there are, are solid homes nowadays. And it's, it's very common to be a single parent nowadays. And kids go to school and they talk with other kids. And they do compare notes on their life, even at a very young age. They compare their lunch. They compare everything, right? We live in that world where they're always comparing, looking at, you know, the clothes that kids wear and how they come to school and, you know, what they have and what they don't have, what kind of car their parents drop them off in, you know, learn at a very young age to be materialistic. You know? And so if you really want to provide for your kids and kids to have whatever they're going to have, you go do it, period. Don't wait around for someone else and then don't bash him in front of your children because they didn't have that. You teach your kids to not appreciate and disrespect. That doesn't serve anybody well in the long run. Yep. You price on that later when they're older and haven't developed properly. You'll, you'll pay the price and then you'll be crying over your kids. Yeah. Couldn't agree more with you on the tips you made about the self care. That's what I realized. It took me a year. Uh, when I realized there is no Prince Charming coming, so I had to pick up the pieces and uh, start taking care of myself, taking care of my physical body, exercising, eating right, because I wanted to be there for my kids, and you cannot pour out from an empty cup. You have to fill yourself up first with positive emotions so that you don't snap, that you you know keep going and uh, doing all those things. And yeah, uh, great advice also on freedom and uh, being responsible for the things that are in your life and not relying on anybody else. I think it's very important uh, point to take into consideration. And, 100%. and you know, the last thing, your kids are always watching, always watching to see what you're going to do. And those eyes are upon you, even at times when you don't believe that they are, your kids are watching. And so you have to live your life as if as if your kids are watching it all the time. You know, integrity is something that you have when no one is looking. Yeah. And if you live a life of integrity, that will transfer to your children. My mom always raised me with this phrase, and she always said, you know, more is caught than is taught. That to be true. So you can tell your children everything you want them to know and be and become and all of these 
something, but at the end of the day, their eyes are upon you and they are watching what you do. So lead by example and make it a good example because more is caught than it's taught. And your children will know how to behave if you show them how to behave. So you must take care of yourself. You must provide for your children and yourself. You must be self-reliant so that your children, especially if you have daughters, you want to raise them to be self-reliant. 100%. And, you know, if you have sons, you want to raise them to respect women and to position themselves in a place of so much the caregiver or the caretaker, but be a provider, be hardworking, be dependable, have integrity, you know, and uh, just an overall personality that is authentic. You want your kids to be their best version of themselves. We all want that but they learn it from us. If we are not being our best version of ourselves, uh, you, you could tell your kid all day, but they're gonna look at you like, why should I be anything like that? You are not like that. And that's always their first response. Well, you aren't like that. It doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do that matters. 100%. So that's my little bit of advice. And uh, I really enjoyed sharing part of my story with you today. And I hope that it helps someone. I hope that it gives hope out there and probably someone's thinking, okay, I don't have it as bad as she did. <laughs> and that's fine too. Listen, I don't mind if you take my story in comparison to yours and go, yep, it wasn't that bad. And that's not a problem. I'm fine with that, right? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for sharing your advice, your stories, your struggles and how you dealt and your advice. It was uh, an honor to have you. If people would like uh, to contact you, do you have a website or anything you want to share? I have a website for my uh, sales coaching business. It's parkersalessolutions.com. Uh, it, it's about to go live in about a week. It's all put together, but I, I was having trouble with the domain, so it's not quite live yet. It's still under construction, but um, they can join me on Facebook. My Facebook is an open invitation. It's uh, Mary Schultz, S-C-H-U-L-T-Z dash Parker. It's a hyphen, hyphen Parker, P-A-R-K-E-R. And you can send me a private message on there and uh, a hello, a shout out. If you, you know, want to chat with me, I'd love to meet you. And if, um, you know, if you're a single mom and you're considering doing something for yourself, like putting a small business together and you just don't know where to start, I'm happy to guide you uh, in the direction you need to go and help you figure out what area in this online world you could serve in and, and create your own economy so that you are self-reliant. I always, like I said, have a heart for the single mom and I will always help wherever I can. And I not everything has a price tag on it sometimes i just help because it's the right thing to do so reach out because um you know closed mouths do not get fed so reach right. out and, and say hello i'd love to meet you thank you thank you it was a pleasure to have you thank you so much uh, thank you arena i'm really grateful to have been here it was really nice appreciate the opportunity If you like this episode, please share with somebody who you think may benefit. You can leave comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts to make it available for wider audiences. Please also uh, leave suggestions of the topics that you like to hear and 
Thank you for listening.